0: Today is a very exciting day in the life of our church. As you were coming into the sanctuary, you saw a lot of people out on what will soon be the courtyard, the ground above the parking garage. And as soon as we're done here, you'll be able to go outside as well and sign the beam that will go on top. It will be raised uh, real soon, uh, which will be the top beam. That's why we call it the topping off ceremony. I encourage you to go out there after the service. There will also be lunches in the fellowship hall. So Stick around and just enjoy fellowship with one another. If you're new to our church, we've been a part of something called the Extend Campaign for a good while now. And we're seeing the structures come up. What's most important for us to remember constantly is why. And the purpose behind all of it is that we as a church would make known the good news of Jesus Christ. That we would remember that apart from Him, we can do nothing. That we as a body would enter through these doors again Remembering the wonder of God's faithfulness, not only to us, but throughout history, beginning with the book of Genesis to the end of Revelation, but ongoing now, God has been faithful to you. Every Sunday that you come through those doors, it's because of God's grace. Every Sunday, the fact that I rose this morning, opened his word, have come to this place to worship with you is all by God's grace and all for his glory. Some of you have come today for the first time. Others have been a part of this church from the beginning. But one thing that we're going to ask of all members later this spring is that we all would re-enter these doors. That every one of us would remember the wonder of the gospel and would renew our vows to our living God for what it means to be a member of this church. So later in April and then twice in May, we're going to be inviting you to one of three weekends. One of three weekends where we want the entire congregation to pick one of those weekends and to come to the church. It's gonna be a Friday night where we gather for worship and to just soak in the good news of the gospel. There's going to be laughter and vision cast and stories of rescue. Then on Saturday morning from around 8.30 to noonish, we are going to focus in on what is the next steps for us as a church. Who is God calling us to be? How is he calling us to connect to him and to connect to one another? What does it mean as a brother or sister in this body to abide in Christ? And what does it mean to continue to extend his kingdom? This is not for some of the members of our church. We want every member, in fact, even if you're not a member, but you would call this your church home, we want you to come because we believe that you will be deeply blessed by what you experience. And because of who you are in Christ, Your life matters. It matters to one another. It matters to me. I want you to think for a moment about why we do all the things we do. And for the aim of every one of them, it is to bring God glory and for us to enjoy him forever. If you're new to our church, today is your first day, I, I trust that you can tell we make much of the cross of Jesus. We make much of that victory of his person and his work. And that's been true from 1991 to today. And I pray and trust it will be that way in this place, this particular expression of his church, until he returns and then on into eternity. But the real answer to why is found in the text we're looking at. We're in the middle of this book called Hebrews. And here in chapter 10, this pastor, this pastor of this small church that's going through all sorts of persecution and is tempted to drift away. It's tempted to no longer hold fast. He's been building up, speaking of this great high priest, this better deliverer, this better king, this better prophet. And now he comes to a place where he says, therefore, looking back at all of that, and he calls us to live. The way in which he called them to draw near to God hold fast to the truth, to not give up meeting, those same things, true then, are true today. It's who we are and who we are to be. Let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. I will begin reading at verse 19, and I will finish at verse 25. As this pastor was carried along by the Holy Spirit, Father in heaven, this is your word, God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. It's your word, when attended to by the Holy Spirit, that we believe. It's your word that, as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes and our ears, gives us true hearts, pure minds, we understand who you are and who we are in Christ. And Father, we pray that now as we hear your word, that we would seek to live lives that reflect your glory, that reflect your calling upon our lives. That we would not not in any way seek to do things in the flesh, in our own strength, but we would see how that's impossible, but that you have given us everything we need to live the lives you're calling us to live in Christ and for his glory. So Father, would you now, in this time together, press these words deep into our hearts that real transformation would happen today, that some would come to saving faith, others would grow in their faith that we all would be transformed for your glory and by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think for a moment about the very first time you walked through the doors of this church. Some of you, it's today. In the last hour, I met a few people who said it was today. For some of you, it's been since 1991. Others of you were carried in your Parents' arms. This has been the church since you were a babe. But I want you to think about that day. For me, it was August of 2000. Pete Dyson was doing a wedding for a very dear friend of mine named Steve McConaughey. He was marrying Mary Lou Dreyfus, David and Judy Franklin's daughter. And I was going to be one of the ministers participating. That wedding wasn't in the sanctuary. It was in the chapel. I met Pete and Harriet for the first time. And they're engaged in what I thought was a wonderful ceremony. And I never expected to be back in this church again. Two years later, I entered those doors for the first time. Coming as the youth pastor, interviewing for that position, I sat up in the balcony right up there by Sam and hi Sam, And worshipped with many of you. Some of you weren't here yet. You had not come through those doors, but many of you were. And I was struck then by how much this congregation made of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Then the Lord called us in January of 2003, and since then this has been our church home. And it matters a lot to me. And Christina, you matter a lot to us because of your life in Christ, because of your desire to live for the King. And when that desire is not where it should be, your willingness to go before the Lord and say, Restore to me the joy of my salvation, of your salvation in my life. We are so grateful to be part of this church. January 5th, the first Sunday of 2020, I met a man after this service. He may be here right now, right there. He was brought down by another member of our church who had seen him running to the church. This young man, I am going to guess late 20s, early 30s, met me right here and said I was driving down the road when something told me to stop and go into this church. He did not know exactly what that was, but he was obedient to whatever it was, and he went to park his car. He couldn't find a place to park. (laughs) He drove around for a little while, finally saw people who had parked a long ways away walking, and so he did the same thing, but he didn't walk, he ran. He ran through the doors, came and sat down next to this man who brought him to meet me, January 5th. After that man introduced us, he left and the young man looked at me and he said, I have a few questions for you. They were very interesting. They had to do with marriage. They had to do with tattoos, of which I looked to see if he had any because I didn't know what I was dealing with. And then it had to do with what he was wearing around his neck. Big crucifix. And so we talked about the blood of Jesus. And the reason there aren't any crucifixes inside here is because Jesus finished that work on the cross. He did indeed die, His blood was poured out for us. But as He says, that it is finished. And his body was taken down and placed in the tomb. He rose from the dead. The power of the cross revealed everything we needed. He ascended after walking on this earth. He reigns as our king now. One day he's going to return. The next week, the same young man came down, this time escorted by a different member. And he said, I have a few more questions. We had communion that day in all three services. And he told me, I didn't come forward to take communion because I've not not been through confirmation here and I wasn't sure if I should. And so once again, I had the privilege of explaining to him that this is not a Presbyterian table, that this is a table for those who have professed faith in Jesus Christ, who have received And have rested in Jesus alone for salvation. And that if that is who he is, then he's absolutely welcome to this table, to that he lit up. The doors of this church have been opened to you because of God's grace. The reason we want you to reenter, for every member to reenter, is that whether you've been here for a little while or a long while, it's easy to forget that it's always by grace that you enter. And it's easy to forget that the message of the hope of Christ's blood, his salvation for us, is the only hope for a lost and dying world. And that is why we gather. And that is why we are building. And that is why we come. That we might remember the truth of the gospel week in and week out, day in and day out. And remember that it was only by His grace that he opened our eyes to believe the truth about the blood of Jesus, about our savior. And I believe deeply in my heart that this church moving forward is going to continue to be used by God to draw people in. Even by just making someone think, I need to park and come into this church. Pretty extraordinary. But God is going to ordain the means by which he builds his church, and that's you. It's the Spirit of God living in you, you going to places of residence and work and recreation, knowing that the Holy Spirit, God himself, is living in you and has given you a message, the one true message of salvation, for the lost world to hear. And so this text that we're going to spend a few minutes in today is really substantial. It's bringing deep encouragement to a little house church that was tempted to lose its way. And so to fix their eyes on what mattered most, to give them the anchor, he builds all of it towards the great high priest, Jesus. And on a day when we have a topping out ceremony, we're looking at a verse that says, he is the great high priest, the great priest over his house. Not just this one expression of his church, but the entire church. And that high priest, the great high priest, is going to use us to continue to draw people to himself. And so whether you have come today for the first time, or you've been here since the beginning, you know that we make much of Jesus. His death, his life, his resurrection, his reign, his promised return. And so did this pastor that wrote Hebrews. So let's look at it. Verse 19. He says, therefore, and that means look back at all that I've been saying. In fact, next week and the week after, we're gonna go backwards, back into eight and nine and earlier parts of 10. Therefore, looking backwards, he says, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, that's his body being torn. And since we have a great high priest over the house, Okay, what he's doing is he's setting up the proposition. He's saying, because we have a great high priest, and because this great high priest was not the one just receiving the sacrifices, but he himself became the sacrifice, his blood was poured out. So if you claim Christ, if you claim to be a Christian, if you are saying today, I have received Jesus and rested in Him alone for my salvation. What you must remember is that He bled for you. Every sin that you have ever committed, every bitter thought, every evil deed, every season of greed, every selfish desire, Our lustful look. Every moment your tongue spoke slander or gossip. Along with all the things we're called to do that we don't do, like taking care of the widows and the poor. Every sin related to racism and injustice. Every addiction. Every Sin, Jesus died for his people. His blood was shed for you. That sacrifice that Jesus made was the once and forever sacrifice. And because that high priest is over his house, he tells this young, small church how to live. The first thing he says, look with me at verse 22, is let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Because we have this great priest over his house in which this is one part of his house, dear friend, if you're in Christ, you have freedom and access to him Constantly, you have the privilege of drawing near to the living God, not just on Sunday mornings, but constantly in carpool, at work, making dinner, eating dinner, serving, playing. You have constant access to draw near to the living God. Not only that, but without any sense of I don't belong. He says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance, not some assurance, not partial assurance, but true and full assurance. And what gives us that assurance? He does, because what he's done to us is given us a true heart. We didn't create that true heart. We didn't go and make that true heart. The word of God, Paul says in Ephesians 2, the word of God says that we had hearts that weren't spiritually sick, but they were spiritually dead. They did not have the power to beat in and of themselves. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together in Christ we were given new hearts by grace. New hearts that suddenly began to beat and desire God himself, the living God. And so with that true heart in us, we have the freedom to approach the throne, to approach God himself boldly, confidently, with full assurance. So because he's our great high priest, because his blood was spilled, because of the cross, this author says, draw near to God with full assurance and a true heart. Second thing he says to do, look at verse 23, is let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Well, this little church was hearing news that others who had trusted in Jesus were being taken and murdered and losing their jobs and receiving beatings. Real persecution was coming, and it's coming for us too, and it exists all over the world already. In the midst of that persecution, the temptation became very very real for them to say, I'm not sure I'm in. I'm not sure I can hold fast to this confession. The price might be too much. And this wonderful shepherd of this small house church carried along by the Holy Spirit speaks to them and points them to this Jesus, this great high priest, this better priest. And he says, hold fast. Hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And then he says, for he who promised is faithful. God is faithful to help us hold fast. God will never neglect us. No matter what persecution we face, no matter how real it becomes, God will give us everything that's necessary, not only to endure, but to hold fast, to never compromise. One of the ways he does that comes next. He says in verse 24, the third let us, he says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Verse 25, not neglecting or failing to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Your Presence as a woman in Christ, as a man in Christ, as a child in Christ matters. When you make a decision to be here or not be here, every time it matters. When you make a decision, To be in fellowship with others or not to be in fellowship with others, it matters every time. Because our life together in Christ gives us the privilege through the ministry of presence in and of itself to stir one another on towards love and good works. This is a big church God's drawn so many and will continue to draw people here. And Sunday after Sunday, people are coming in, having walked through all sorts of journeys. Today, some have walked into this place feeling deep despair. Others are feeling joy in the Lord like they've never known. Some are in between. Some, spiritually speaking, feel dry at the moment. Others are feeling very alive. What's going to be common is that as a follower of Christ, you're going to go through all those experiences between now and the moment he returns or calls you home. And when you sit in a congregation of brothers and sisters who are on the same journey with you, you're going to be encouraged Because God is using us as a means of grace in him to stir one another on towards love and good deeds. In other words, to be very simple, by God's grace and for his glory, we need each other. We need each other to stir us on to be the people that God's called us to be. And one of the ways the enemy attacks the church today is by primarily focusing us upon our relationship with God as it's just personal between me and him. And we miss the corporate element of how important it is to have one another. So this preacher speaks. And he says, because of the blood of Christ let us draw near. Because of the blood of the great priest, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Because of the blood of Christ, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Let us not neglect to meet. is the habit of some, but let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. So what's one of the ways that we will continue to be faithful to this. It has to do with the anchor. And the anchor for us who are in Christ is the cross of Jesus. It is the reality that his blood was shed for you. I want to read to you two stanzas of a hymn. I don't want you to turn there. I don't want you to take notes right now. I just want you to listen. I want you to picture what the hymn writer William Cowper in 1771 was imagining as he wrote this hymn. It's repetitive on purpose. I'm going to read the first stanza and the second stanza, and then I'm going to close this in prayer, and we'll sing. So listen carefully. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners... Plunged beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. And sinners plunge beneath that flood. Lose all their guilty stains not just some of them, all of them. Last stanza, and this is why we seek to be obedient to the mission of extending his kingdom. Dear dying lamb, your precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God Be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. Be saved to sin no more. Till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. God is not finished with the history of redemption. There are people in this city in this country and around the world who need to hear the good news of the gospel, of the cross of this great, the great high priest. Father, you have given us this time and space, this moment and the life of this one expression of your church to be anchored to the cross, to be reminded of mission, and to be reminded of the freedom we have in you to draw near and to hold fast and to encourage one another. As we sing this final piece, Lord, which is calling us to fix our eyes upon the cross, would you use these words that we sing to bring yourself glory, and would you press them deep into our hearts that we truly might believe the things that we're singing and that we would live differently today because of what we've seen and heard. In Jesus' name, amen.